We're going to go in our Bibles to the book of Mark. The book of Mark chapter 2, if you would please. The book of Mark chapter 2 and verse number 1. Familiar story, but believe it or not, it's one of my favorite Bible stories. It's one of my favorite miracles that Jesus performed. A lot of times with Jesus' miracles that he would perform, um, the sick would approach him, or the sick, like the woman with the issue of blood, she would reach out herself and touch the hem of his garment. But this is a cool story, because this is a story about four men that cared for their brother, and they brought him to Jesus when he couldn't get there himself. That's as good as it gets right there. Amen. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. And straightway, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And this is, a, this is very interesting. I'm going to come back to this very point. But I read some, some rabbinic writing that said it was their, their opinion that what this really meant was that these men went up to the rooftop where there was a door. They said there were probably two doors on the house, the front door and the door on the rooftop that led, led to the rooftop. But when you read the language in this, it said that when they came to the roof, they broke it up. There was a disruption in the structure of that roof. And the Bible said that they let down the bed wherein the sick of palsy lay. And this is, this is powerful. We don't hear about this a lot again. But it does not say that Jesus saw the faith of the sick man. It said that when he saw their faith. I know you may not believe this. But my faith and your faith together can make the difference in somebody else's life. The Bible said when he saw their faith, he looked at the sick of the palsy and he said, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now this gets pretty interesting. There were certain scribes sitting there. And they were reasoning in their hearts. They said, why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Boy, they're starting to pick it up, aren't they? And immediately, I love this. When Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he turns around to him and he said, why do you reason these things in your heart? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sin be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on the earth to forgive sin, he said to the sick of the palsy. I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thy house. And six weeks later he arose. I'm sorry, that was NIV. <laughs> and immediately, and immediately, he arose, took up the bed, and he went forth from before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. The faith of four men who believed that Jesus could caused the entire congregation that was gathered to say we've never seen it on this fashion I'm going to preach to you tonight with the help of the Lord whatever it takes 
whatever it takes. Amen. Let's pray together. God, I've never been more thankful than I am tonight. I've never been more grateful than I am right now. You've been good to us, God. You have blessed us. Your hand has been upon us. God, there's nothing we could say tonight, nothing that we could do that could ever properly repay for the things that you have done. So I'm asking tonight that you would receive our praise and be blessed, that you would sense the hunger in our hearts for more of you, and that you would be blessed tonight by what you feel and what you see represented in this house. Let your spirit walk the aisles. Let your angels minister to us tonight. And I pray, God, that there would be a sweet-smelling savor that would arise out of the congregation of the righteous into the nostrils of God that would bring joy into your presence. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, let the church say amen and amen. Let's put our Bibles down tonight and clap unto the Lord, for he is good. I said he is good. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your holy name, God. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. You may be seated in the matchless name of Jesus. Anybody thankful for that name today? There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. I'm thankful for the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, there's so much that could be preached in this story tonight, so I'm going, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to try to hit it fast and get in and get out, and hopefully somebody will leave here seeing something that blesses your heart, hearing something that helps you. But this is, uh, this is quite a story. Jesus had just completed his tour of, of the synagogues, and uh, he returns to Capernaum after he had done quite a bit of teaching throughout the synagogues, and uh, interest was being piqued on a different measure because as he opened up his mouth in each synagogue, these scribes and Pharisees who loved the law so much didn't quite know what to do with him because as, uh, as his disciples would later say, never a man spake like this man. They just, they didn't know what to do with him, and he spoke with a different kind of authority. Yeah, he, he was a rabbi and a teacher, but the rabbis didn't know what to do with him because he wasn't, just, uh, he wasn't just another preacher. He wasn't just another rabbi. There was a different kind of authority when he spoke. And he stood up in the synagogue, and he said that God has anointed me to preach the gospel. And he said he has anointed me that when I preach the gospel that it's going to bind up the brokenhearted and it's going to set at liberty them that are bruised. And every scribe in the room knew for sure that he was reading right out of Isaiah and they were with him while he was reading out of the scroll. But then he starts rolling the scroll back up and he said, and this day hath this reading been fulfilled right in front of your face and they thought what is wrong with this guy who does he think he is but people's interest is is really really getting peaked because of the things that he's saying and and you have to understand that whenever something like this is moving there were people that followed him because they liked him there were people that followed him because they hated him and there were people that followed him that was trying to figure out what in the world they were feeling but they knew there was something about him that was different. And so by the time he ends up back in Capernaum, the news has spread that Jesus is in town. And the address where he's going to be starts spreading pretty quickly. And uh, the crowd starts showing up. Jesus is trying to give a home Bible study. And everybody in town wants to come here. What the great rabbi has to say. Now, among these people were folks with keen interest in seeing just how he was going to put his spin on the word today. But the people that were gathering there were really more just kind of interested 
in the words that he had to speak. And they had heard about the mighty things that he had done, but they came that day and filled the room because they wanted a front row seat to hear what the master was saying. But there were four men that had a friend who was in a bad way. And the Bible tells us that this man was sick with palsy and that he was bound to his bed. In other words, he had been given a life sentence that this is the way it's always going to be. And this is the life that you're always going to have to live. But somehow in the midst of this devastation in his life, there were four men who started believing for him when he could not believe for himself. There were four brothers, whether they were brothers in the flesh or brothers in faith. There were four men who started believing for this man when he did not have the strength to believe for himself. I've come to preach to you on this Wednesday night. There is no way to ever measure the value of the body of Christ. There is no way to ever measure the value of a system of brotherhood and sisters in the body that can believe for me when the evidence says I have no reason to believe. God will send encouragers in your life that will yoke up with you in the spirit and say I know you're weak right now and I know it doesn't look good but I want to believe with you. I'm telling you tonight that I am so encouraged by the people that have joined themselves together in this church. There's a great spirit of unity in this church. And I don't don't say this in the negative. As a matter of fact, I say it on the contrary. I say it to be positive tonight. I received a text this week uh, from a, a very precious lady who asked me, she said, were you happy, were you happy with uh, the way the weekend went. And I said, you know, there's always people that are never going to buy in. But today we celebrate the people that love God and love the kingdom of God. Hey, I want to tell you right now, you can always find somebody to bring a negative report. But it's hard to find somebody that will pick up the bed of someone when they can't walk on their own and say, I'll be an encourager. I'll be the one that will carry the load. I'll be the one that will lift the load. I'm telling you tonight, brothers and sisters, we need each other. We've got to have the body of Christ. There's got to be something about this that lets the family of God know you are not in this by yourself. You're not fighting this fight alone. We're going to walk with you when you cannot walk alone. There's value in understanding this. That there's something about the body of Christ that can only be accomplished when we're together. It cannot be accomplished while you sit at home and watch church online. It can't be accomplished while you sit at home on your phone and, and, and say, well, I, I, don't, I don't feel like going tonight. Listen, maybe, maybe I'm just too old-fashioned, but, but I'm telling you there are times when I'm, I'm so weary that I don't feel like worshiping and I'm, I'm weary and I don't feel like preaching and I'm weary and I don't feel like dancing and I'm tired and I don't feel like shouting. But you know what? There's something supernatural that happens when we come together. I've had days that I didn't feel like going to church. I've had days that I felt weary in my body. But when you walk through the doors and you start seeing them brothers and sisters, there's just something that gets a hold of you when you walk into that prayer room and you hear some precious saint of God lifting up their voice and crying out to God. There's something about it when we come together that the voice inside of me that was just telling me you're too tired, you're too weary, you can't make it, that voice starts changing and says there's your brother, there's your sister. Aren't you glad you came? Aren't you glad you came? Aren't you glad you're here? I feel like telling you tonight I'm thankful for the body of Christ. Christ. It's, uh, it's true that we're born with a selfish nature. Nobody has to teach you how to be selfish. Nobody has to teach your kids how to be selfish. 
We're all born with a selfish nature. If you don't believe that, let one of the other kids try to take a cookie from the other kid. It's just in us. It's the way that it is. And I want to tell you that the enemy loves to use that spirit that's, that's within us to make others feel like there's no hope. And, and so we get, not because, not because uh, necessarily we mean to. Now some people may have, may have motives that are impure or whatever. But for the most part, I like to believe that people have pretty pure hearts. You understand what I'm saying? But the truth is that it's really, really easy, even if you're a good-hearted person, to get so surrounded by the things that are happening in your life that you can't, you can't see what's going on with everybody else. And you get surrounded by the trouble that you see, and it's like, it's like your mountain's the biggest one that's ever been climbed. You understand what I'm saying? It's like you're the first person in the world that's ever lost their job. You're the, only, you're the only one that's ever had a fuss with your spouse. And, and man, it's just bad. You know, it's like, well, Pastor, you don't understand. It's, it's, it's worse than you've ever seen. Try me. You don't understand this, but it's, 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 I, you've never seen nothing like it. I bet I have. <laughs> I bet I have. And so, so what happens is we get literally encapsulated in what's going on in our own world. And we'll walk right by people who are so desperate and so hungry for God. And we don't, we don't even know that it's happening in their lives because we're climbing our own mountain. Now, folks, I'm not trying to read too much into this. But I want to tell you something about these four men, okay? This is what I know. It would literally be impossible. I don't care if it's in Capernaum or Anderson. To find four people... And at least one of them not have something going on in their life. Now you may ask four people in here tonight and them say, yeah, I'm good. I'm great. All's well. And they smile. Got some old pearly whites glistening. Yeah, I'm good. Everything's wonderful. Now you may find four folk that will tell you something that's not quite true. But you won't find four people that's not facing something. I mean, I, I, I don't know that there's ever been a time in my life that there wasn't just I mean, something. You know what I'm saying? I mean, whether you're frustrated and fussing and cussing because it's the first time you've tried to start the mower this year and your shoulder's blown out because you've been pulling on that lawnmower and, you know, the devil did that. Aren't we funny? We, we forget to put Stabil in our, in our lawnmower and make the gas good and we, the, devil, the devil tore up our lawnmower in the winter. He got right out there in my garage and tore that lawnmower up, that old rotten devil. And uh, it can be something just that simple. You, you come to the house of God, and there's somebody sitting on the pew that's really broken, really hurting. But you can't see it because your shoulder hurts from pulling on the lawnmower. Are you with me? Do you know who, who in their right mind? would start tearing off the roof of somebody's house just to get somebody to Jesus. And I'm going I'm to give you a couple things tonight. I'm going to tell you the first kind of person that would tear the roof off of a house is somebody that's concerned with others. Somebody who's willing to put others before them. Somebody who's willing to say, yeah, I, I've, I've got issues. But I really don't have issues when I look at what some folks are going through. Listen, this is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of the body of Christ. I don't know how many of you were raised in the kind of Sunday school I was, but does anybody remember this song? Well, Sister Ramsey's got it. If we all pull together, together, together. It's easy to sing, isn't it? It's tough to live. Because I'm usually just pulling for me. But if we all pull together. Woo! My wife and I were in Norway in uh, February. And uh, the, last, the last three days that we were there, um, we left Sunday after church. And we, we drove like 
three and a half hours, maybe three and a half, four hours up north to Lillehammer where they did the Olympics in 1994. And uh, I wish he was here tonight so I could tell this with, with him in the room. But Pastor Andreasen had, rent, had, had, had got a, a two-wheel drive van from a church that had let him use it for the conference. And uh, Lillehammer, I mean, you can imagine if it's where they had the Olympics, it's not really a mole hill that you're driving up and down. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's some pretty steep terrain. And so uh, we take off three and a half, four hours, and we get into the little town there, Lillehammer. It's dark, and we're like, oh, that's going to be pretty in the morning. And, and we start going up, and, and I can't help the guy because his GPS is, is talking in, in Norwegian. I'm like, I have no clue what that thing just said. And he's like, brother, saying turn left. I'm like, okay, well, all right. So I don't know if we're like out, I don't know where we're at, if we're in the middle of nowhere or what. But people started calling. He was using his phone for GPS. And the other cars that were in our group started calling. He's like, stop calling. Stop calling. And he'd hang up on them. Stop calling, because he don't know where he's at in his GPS. Stop calling. And he's like, oh, now they're texting me. And he was so frustrated. And so we went right past our turn. But we didn't know that. And so it's 11 o'clock, right? Maybe 10, 10 30, 11 o'clock at night in a two-wheel drive van, climbing up Mount Lillehammer or whatever it was, and we got past the place where they had plowed pretty good. Oh, yes, folks. That's what the back seat of the women sounded like right there. <laughs> My wife, I'm telling you, I've still got four claws, scars right here from where she was grabbing on my knee. Oh my, what are we doing? I said, I'm not driving. <laughs> Sister Jamie uh, from Louisiana was sitting in the back. And I look back there, and she's, she's texting, pray, pray, pray. <laughs> Tell the kids we love them. <laughs> I'm like, good Lord. And so here's the problem now. All the alpha males jump out of the van because we're sitting on this hill, and it's going, Voo! and we're not getting anywhere. It's a, it's a, a stick, manual. And it starts sliding backwards, and I'm like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I mean, and the door's on that side, so it's like, bro, before you let out on that clutch one more time, let's, let's see if we can push. So we get out in our shoes on this mountain, and there was about 10 of us, I guess, or so, eight or 10 of us on that van. And Bishop, we're out there, all of us men, brother, I ain't never seen anything like it. Every one of them men knew how to get us off that hill. Every one of them. Uh, brother Andreessen, cut it to the left. This one, brother, cut it hard to the right. And I'm like, dear Jesus, just get us off here. I've waited till right now to tell my mother this, by the way. She didn't know this. And so... We get out and we start pushing. And it's, it's not doing much good. It's really not doing much good. But all of a sudden, somebody walks a little further down the hill where, where we had just come from around the corner. And these two or three men started easing down there to see what was going on. They, they started talking the same language. They said, brother... There's enough room right down here if you just back up. Yeah, that's right, brother. There's enough room. If you can just back up, we can turn this thing around right here. No problem. Now, stay with me. I'm taking you somewhere. When one person was saying, turn this way, and one person was saying, turn that way, and one was saying, pull forward, and he's like, I wish I could, and the other one was saying, back that thing up. There was nothing but frustration. But when people started speaking the same language and saying, hey, I see a spot down here. And the other one came down and said, that's right, brother. Then all of a sudden, there was this weird unity that came among them. They're like, come, come straight back. And you could hear straight back, straight back, straight back. And I'm like, God, just don't go straight down. That's all I care about. 
straight back. There's something about it when we can get on the same page and start pulling for one another. There's, there's something that happens when I don't have to be the one that's right. When I don't have to be the one with the most brilliant idea. I want to tell you, these four men didn't care who designed the bed. They didn't care what it was made of. They just said, we've got a job, and we've got a brother to care for, and we're going to do whatever we got to do to get him to Jesus. Woo! Unselfish. Motivated only by one thing. What do we got to do to get him to Jesus? These men possessed a spirit of cooperation that we're going to work together. They knew that success could only be achieved if they all moved in the same direction and if they all continued to hold their part of the bed up. If one of these four men decides at one point, I don't like how we're carrying this, and he turns it loose, the man is never going to make it to Jesus. And if he does, it's going to tax his other brother to have to carry this man in a way that he should have never had to carry. Listen, I just wonder sometimes how many folks in the kingdom of God are having to carry extra weight that we shouldn't have to carry because of a brother that feels like if it's not my idea, it's not a good idea. Woo! I can tell who I'm preaching to tonight. You look like you've been baptized in pickle juice. I want you to look at somebody close to you tonight and tell them we need each other. In Exodus, the 17th chapter, the Amalekites were fighting against the children of Israel. And when, when Moses, when their leader Moses got weary, the Bible said that they started losing the fight. But with a team spirit of cooperation. The word of the Lord said that two men came together. Aaron and her. And they realized the problem was that their leader was weary. And whenever his hands would come down, they would start to lose the battle. And two men got up beside him. And they didn't care who got the glory. They didn't care who got, who got the accolades for it. Listen, it wasn't about whether they got patted on the back for doing it. They just realized the only way we're going to have victory is when we come together under one banner and one purpose. I feel like there's some people in this church tonight that have come together under the banner that whatever we have to do to have revival, we're going to have revival. Whatever we have to do, we're going to win this city for Jesus. Whatever we've got to do, there will be a breakthrough in this city. It, 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 it's, it's profitable when you realize that when me and my brother start doing the same thing, we can get a lot more done. I wish tonight we could break down, I've preached it through the years, the team that it took to build the temple. Unbelievable. Over 300,000 people in all working together for one purpose. Let's build a house for God. Let's build a house for God. Church family, I want to tell you tonight, if we all pull together, if we all stay together, can I preach to you tonight that it's easy to find fault in anybody and everybody, but we don't need fault finders. We need faith builders. I'm preaching pretty good right there. I said we don't need fault finders. We need faith builders. We need people that have discernment. And when your brother's down, instead of finding fault, saying, I'll tell you what's wrong. No, don't tell them what's wrong. Tell them how to make it right. Jesus can make it right. And I'm going to stand with you. And I'm going to get shoulder to shoulder with you. And we're going to have revival. These men cooperated together to get their friend 
to Jesus. And the reason why they did, and I hope to the good Lord tonight that this spirit will rest in this congregation. The reason that they did is because they knew the only answer for their friend's problem was Jesus. I love this time of year in Anderson because there's more signs than you can imagine. It's amazing because every politician that's broke finds money for signs. It's amazing. It's just funny because people start fixing potholes. It's pretty amazing. It's just phenomenal. All the promises made. It's beautiful. I want to tell you all something tonight. I've lived in this city long enough to know industry is not the answer for this city. Now, I'm, all, I'm probably going to upset a couple of folk right here, but union is not the answer to this city. I hate to tell you that. They may do good things for people. I don't know. But it ain't going to fix the problems in this city. Another politician is not the answer for this city. Do you know why I'm so adamant? about what I do in this city it's because I know there's not one politician that's going to fix the real problem in this city the only thing that can be fixed in this city is when we get people to Jesus there was a time there was a time I don't even know a bunch of these people that are running in this town there was a time that we had open doors for prayer We'd go pray. Dad and I'd go pray in the mayor's office. And uh, it kind of helped that the mayor dated his sister in high school, I guess. But we go pray. But you know what? There came a time where they said, we don't, want, we don't want prayer up here. We don't even want you praying in the city building. I'm going to tell you what's going to fix this city. Prayer. You know what's going to fix this county? Yeah, if so-and-so gets elected, hogwash. It's going to be prayer. You know what's going to fix the state of Indiana? Prayer. You, you know what's going to fix this country right now? Boy, y'all are preaching good right now. We got to do our part. Be civil. Do what we can do to help our community. But I make you a promise tonight. There is nothing more valuable that you could do in this city. Then grab a hold of somebody's bed that they've been carrying and take them to Jesus. We're, listen, we're in a sad place in this community. When drug addicts are being bussed in here from other communities because we'll give them free syringes and tie the hands of our police officers and help people that want to get high, get high. I'm sorry, but there's not going to be a politician anywhere in the world that can fix that. This city needs revival. And instead of standing around and talking about what I don't like about that politician and that politician, I'd rather grab a drug addict by the bed and and lead them to an altar of repentance and have revival in Anderson. You know what? It's going to make all these people that's got political blood flowing through their veins mad when they start hearing stuff like this. But Jesus wasn't into politics, but he was into government. And the government was on his shoulders. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? We need his government and his kingdom and his power in this city. I'm not just here to have cute church. I'm not just here to build another building. I'm not just here to fill a building with people. I'm here because I want to see his kingdom. I want to see his kingdom. I want to see it. If it takes everything I've got, I'm going to have revival in this town. Come on, somebody. If it takes every bit of energy i got and makes me an old man at a young age, I'm going to have revival in this city. I'm, I'm going to yoke up with the Holy Ghost. 
And we're going to have revival. And I'm going to tell you tonight, I'm not saying it's be ugly because I love you sweet people. But I'm going to have it with or without you. Because I'm going to have revival in my house if I don't have it anywhere else. And when you make up in your mind that you're going to have revival in your home, there's nothing the enemy can do to stop this church. I'm telling you, when our homes become Bible study places and places where the Holy Ghost has fallen and places where we're laying hands on our children and we put altars in our home, I make you a promise tonight. There's not a building in this city that can contain what God is going to do through this church when you start building an altar in your own house it's going to take some people with their priorities straight we're going to do whatever we got to do to make this happen now I'm going to tell you you can believe it how you want to but one blessing about being where I'm at tonight is I got the microphone so I'm going to tell you how I believe it I want to tell you, if you think these men started walking up to that house and it never crossed their mind at all, what if we're a distraction? What if we disturb the service? What if people look at us? What if people start judging us? What would people think? But brothers and sisters, they could not stop because the mission... And we we, we got to get this right here. If you don't hear anything else, the mission was not to drop him off at the door. The mission was to get him to the Savior. The mission was to get him to Jesus. What are you saying, Pastor? The mission is not to just get people to church. The mission is not to just fill up seats. The mission is to take broken people and get them to Jesus. When you're a soul winner, people are going to talk about you. I'm being serious. It's hilarious. You got, you got two spirits that function, and I believe it's the reason Jesus picked, that, picked the, uh, picked the uh, uh, 15th chapter of Luke to tell the old story that he told. But you got two spirits when harvest starts coming in. You got people who rejoice because the lost has been found. And you got older brothers who are jealous because parties being thrown for somebody who came in late. That's it. I was scrolling the other night, Courtney, and and your post just made me smile. It was precious because you're a good woman. She was sitting back in the back. She took a beautiful picture of the congregation. I don't remember exactly how you said it, but it was something like this. If I'm wrong, you can fix it. She said, I came in and my regular seat was taken. But I rejoice at what the Lord is doing. Are you here? We've been, we've been preaching about this. That you're going to come in one service and somebody's going to be sitting in your seat. Hey, FPC, let me help you tonight. We don't have any name plates on seats in this church. We don't have any name plates in the prayer. We don't have name plates. You know what we've got? We've got a spirit of cooperation. Whatever we got to do to have revival, I'm going to yoke up with my brother. I'm going to yoke up with my sister. And we're going to have revival. Can I tell you what I'm expecting? I'm expecting some of you to have to give up your seat and stay in the choir loft the whole service like we used to over there because we're out of room. Whatever it takes, we're going to have revival. I got to looking around here the other day and I said, God, I don't know what our next step is in this building if we're supposed to do it in here and I got to look and I was like, I don't know, could we build a balcony? Could we? I don't know what we could do. I'm just going to tell you right now. I have hitched my wagon and tied it up. Brother, it's locked on. I have hitched my wagon to revival. 
And I don't plan on unhooking. I don't plan on unhitching. And if we get a lame horse along the way, we'll work on and do what we got to do to get it healed. But I'm going to bind together with every man and every woman and every young person and every child in this church. And we're going to have revival. We're going to have an outpouring of the Spirit of God. If we've got to walk through the parks and preach it, or if we got to stand on a street corner and preach it, or if we got to preach it in a foreign language, whatever we got to do, we're going to have revival. I got to thinking the other day, I don't know what we're going to do, God. I told the Lord, I said, we'll keep on starting. We took a step of faith some time ago and bought some in-air monitors and a microphone for Brother Boaz or whoever, Brother Rolando maybe, to do some interpreting for us. And we've used them a little bit. Forgive me tonight, but I told the Lord the other day, I said, God, what you're wanting to do is a little bigger than a few in-air monitors. I made a phone call the other day. I probably opened my mouth too much. But I made a phone call the other day to, to Brother Crossley in Florida. And Brother Flores, I told him, I said, I, I opened my big mouth the other night. I said, I got up behind the pulpit and I said something stupid. He said, my God, man, what'd you do? I said, I got up there and said, then the next 12 months, and I said, I had Jordan throw a logo up in Spanish. We're going to launch a Spanish church. He said, my God. I said, well, here's the thing, bro. No habla espanol. <laughs> Brother Crosley, if you saw him, you'd never believe it. I let Brother Rowe hear him the other day. He's probably 5'6", five, 5'7", five, I don't know, 5'8", a little short guy. A little, little white guy. Walks around. You, I mean, you just never, he looks like he's from Alabama. You know, it's, I mean, he's, and man, when that joker grabs a microphone and starts preaching in Spanish, he went, he went to uh, right outside of Davie, right down by Fort, La Fort Lauderdale. Got the fastest growing church in the United Pentecostal Church right now. And doesn't preach in English. I said, hey hermano, I need you to come preach for me. Wait, why, that's, I mean, why, like, why would you do it? Now, maybe you don't understand what I'm saying tonight. I've decided whatever it takes. We're going to have a revival. I, <laughs> this is probably going to make you uncomfortable. But we've had people in here dance and jump and shout and cry with us that didn't understand one word of what I preached. So I'm going to have somebody like Brother Ryan Crosley come in and preach. And I'm going to dance and shout whether I understand the word he's saying or not. Somebody say amen or oh me. Amen. What if people look at you and think you're silly? Well, welcome to the club. Can I tell y'all something I read a long time ago that's interesting? I'm, I'm coming to a close, Brother Diaz. I read something the other, uh, the other year, probably two, three, four years ago. I was reading about this story right here. And in, uh, I believe it's in Luke uh, when the story, when Luke's telling the story of, of the roof being taken off, it's a, uh, it's interesting because it said that the men, uh, they tore into the tile, okay, and that word tile is interesting because it speaks to the nature of the roof. the the the, the root word in the Greek was a mixture of of earth, and sometimes not not all the time, but sometimes. There was some stuff in that earth. You understand what I'm saying? You got me? We have four men that crawl up on the roof 
and said, just stay right there, buddy. We're going to go to work for you. We don't care how dirty we got to get. But we're going to do whatever we got to do. And they start tearing into some, forgive me for being crude, but they started tearing into some mess. They started getting some dirt under their nails. And they started tying into stuff that nobody wanted them to tie into. You just stay right there and we're going to help you because we don't mind getting our hands dirty to be sure that we can get you to Jesus. You know what we need in FPC? We need some folks in Anderson that are not afraid or ashamed to start getting your hands dirty. Hey, I'm going to tell you, it may cost you a cup of coffee every now and then and you may have to sit down with some people that's going to cause eyebrows to be raised when they look and say, what in the world are they doing with them. I tell you what we're doing, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. I'm hurrying tonight. I'm going to get there as fast as I can. I'm almost done. I, I mean it sincerely. I want to tell you there's something interesting about this story. I told you what I believed. The old literature alludes to the idea that there was a door there, but the language the, the language seems to agree with the fact that there was a roof destroyed. There was a, a portion of the roof that was removed. Right? right? Yes. And so it leads to the question, maybe it's just because I was raised swinging a hammer and I, I look at things a little different, you know, but uh, revival can make a mess sometimes. <laughs> well, you can say amen or oh me. Yes. Revival gets messy. I'll never forget the night. Brother Best, me and you laugh about this. When we were in revival, my dad walked up on the front row to one of them guys and said, you got any cigarettes on you? He did it. Yeah. He passed, didn't he? No? Still alive? Well, I'm not going to say his name then. My dad walked down on the front row. I'm talking about revival's messy now. He walked down that front row of the other building. He said, hey, you got... <laughs> You got any cigarettes on you? I'm like, my God, what's he doing? <laughs> Revival's breaking him down. <laughs> he used to say God took the taste out of his mouth. What is he doing? <laughs> well, this is going to make the headlines. <laughs> that old boy just grinning so big both ears was waiting. He said, yes, sir. Got digging and he pulled out a pack of cigarettes. My dad said, let me have one of them. I'm like. Do you remember doing this? And he turned around, walked up on the platform. And I don't know what kind it was. It was kind of had the brown filter, probably marble or whatever. And my dad took that cig. And he set it on the pulpit when he did it, went. Yep. He set it back. He was going to try to make a cute illustration. You know, he set it up. It fell back over. What did he say, Sister Martha? He said, That won't even stand in the house of God. I'm like, My God, Dad, you're going to offend somebody. And he picked that thing up and he held it like this right here. And he said, somebody in this room is going to be lost over something this big right here. My God, he went to ripping the roof off, didn't he? Well, what have, have people got offended? Well, I'm going to tell you, that whole family right there is here because of that meeting. The devil is a liar. There is longevity in revival. We can let people know that there is help if we can get them to Jesus and we'll make a difference. We're going to drag some people into the house of God that's going to walk out on their own. <laughs> Powerful story. Because they dropped him through the roof to get him to Jesus. And then Jesus said to him, take up your bed and walk. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? They walked him in there. 
He walked himself out. If we can just get people to Jesus, they'll start walking different. The revival gets messy, and, and, and it is very true. It is very true that uh, sometimes when the loaves and fishes are gone, the crowd thins out. You with me? We know that there were men that were excited about revival, and they were excited to get that man, that friend of theirs, to Jesus. But my brain just works a little bit different, because Brother Jordan, the only thing I could think of is when the room cleared out and that man walked and everybody danced and shouted and said wow and everything else, there was still a hole in the roof. Because not everything about revival is going to be leaping, shouting, running, dancing. Somebody had to come back. Somebody had to go to bed in there that night. He didn't heal him in a synagogue. There's a message for you. He healed him in their house. Oh, my God. Home Bible study? What if they make my sofa smell like smoke? <gasps> Pastor, what if they're dirty when they come in my house? Ah. Uh, Clean it up. <laughs> well, what about, what about my kids? Listen, my mom taught me as a kid. When my mom needed to teach me a real important lesson, she would often teach me through her teeth. Because <laughs> as an evangelist kid, we ate in some places that weren't so clean. And I started learning lessons. Don't you say a word. Ooh. Dad, I've teached Bible studies in places that I didn't want to sit down. I'm being honest. I'm not being rude. I'm serious. I didn't even want to sit down. We walk in, they'd say, uh, just, just sit here on the floor. We'll just, and I'm like, all right. This is what you want, God. You just kind of sit down. You're like, oh, boy, this is tacky. This, this is sticky. I've sat in, in, in Bible studies, and I'm not easily grossed out. I'm not being rude. I'm just telling you. I've, I've sat and talked in Bible studies while I'm trying to teach. Dogs are licking all over my hand, rubbing up on my pants. And they're like, oh, oh, you, you quit that. And I'm like, no, 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 it's just fine. I'm rubbing on that dog, and I'm saying, now, now listen, I want to tell you in the Word, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, that dog's licking, getting hair all over my clothes, pastor, you want something to drink, no, I'm good, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God. And the word was God. And those people that were just hollering at their dog would say, oh, I've never seen that before. You mean Jesus is God. And the word was made flesh. And I'm doing whatever I got to do to just love on that doggy. Made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glories of the only begotten. Jesus was God in flesh. That's right. And we've, we've been there. It's not easy. But I'm going to tell you all something. We need some faithful folks. That when roofs have been tore off. Crutches have been thrown down. People have ran the aisles. We need somebody on a Monday morning. That'll get up and say, God, we're here again today. We saw a mighty move of the Holy Ghost yesterday. 
and the roof was blown off of this house. But God, we've come back on Monday to hit this same prayer room and tell you we're going to put the roof back on and we're going to do whatever we got to do. I don't want to embarrass anybody, but I'm going to tell you, we were all rejoicing Sunday night because this church took one of the largest offerings ever. But I came here today and there were people cleaning in the bathrooms and there were school teachers upstairs with snot-nosed kids. I'm talking about revival. When the roof has been tore off, there's got to be somebody that stays around and says, I'll be faithful and do whatever I've got to do to hold this together. Let's stand. I'm just about wore out my welcome. I'm going to tell you. It's not the average bear that just runs out of steam whenever trouble comes that puts the roof back on. It, it, and I, I'm, I'm not being critical. I'm being honest. It's not that Sunday morning attender that just shows up that's going to put the roof back on. It's the precious people that are gathered here on Wednesday night, Thursday night prayer, in that prayer room before every service. God. Forgive me if it sounds vain when I say this, but I'm so proud of you people. I'm so proud of you praying people. I hope you're not doing it to make me proud, but you need to know you sure made me proud. I love when our, when our guests, evangelists and speakers, even this weekend come in here, they'll walk out of that prayer room and say, my God, man, these are praying people. Listen, these are the people that are putting the roof back on. These are the people that's holding it together. These are the people that when the altar calls over, you're loving, loving folks, putting your arm around them and saying, hey, can we start a Bible study this week? I, I want to come to your house. I want to invite your family to my home. Let's sit down and talk about the work. We need some people that can put the roof back on. And I believe I'm preaching to them tonight. I've never been more proud in my life to pastor a group of people than I am right now. There is a hunger in this church for a deeper measure of revival than I've ever seen in my life. And I'm thanking God tonight openly. And I thank God every time I go to prayer for the precious people in this church. That when the lights go off, you just grab the hammer and you grab, you grab the trowel and you do whatever you got to do and climb up on that roof and start putting it back together. God send us revival and make a mess if you have to. But give us some folks that will hang around when the revival isn't as hot as it was and they're just putting the roof back on and holding this thing together hallelujah I am hungry for a breakout I am hungry for a breakthrough but I'm also hungry for some folks that when you turn around and there, there ain't nobody on the organ playing just come together and say hey pastor I'm here Count me in. Been handing out them cards. Been knocking doors. Folks, listen. We're not going to get harvest by pulling in the parking lot on Sunday and a line waiting on us. We're going to get harvest when we start knocking on hearts of people that God has already given us influence with. They already know we're different. You know how we're going to grow this church and win this city? One person at a time. One family at a time. And we're going to love people. And we're going to put our arms around them. It don't matter where they come from. don't matter what they smell like. I believe. I believe that before the end of summer. That every person in this church. Could be teaching a home Bible study. I believe that. I'm not talking about going out and getting the courage to walk up randomly to somebody and say, uh, Hi, my name's Billy. Would you, could I teach you Bible study? No, I'm talking about the people that love you, that know you, that you got influence with. I'm talking about a backslider that got cold and walked away from God, but you piqued their interest because you opened the Word of God and started teaching to them again. 
How many of you will make a commitment to the Lord tonight? I'm going to be here when the roof comes off. And I'm going to be here when the roof gets put back together. God, I'm going to be here when it's high. And I'm going to be here when it's just work. I'm going to be here when the only thing that's running is vacuums. Come on, let's offer that to the Lord tonight. God, whatever you require of me, whatever it takes, God, that's what I'm willing to do. God, whatever I've got to do, that's what I'm willing to do. Whatever you ask of me, God. Woo! I'll trade sunshine for rain. Comfort for pain. That's what I'm willing to do. Come on, just stretch that out to the Lord tonight. We're not in a rush right here. Let's just love the Lord for a minute. God, I want to do what you've called me to do. Lord, you've called some people to Africa, some people to India, some people... Across Asia, you've called some people to Europe. But God, if you call me to my next door neighbor, to my mother or my father or my backslidden friends, I'll go. Whatever you've called me to do, I'll go. Hallelujah. 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 Could we give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.